The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters in Christ. Why are aliens so scary? UFO conspiracy theory videos all have a serious undertone of being very frightening. The X-Files was a TV show that capitalized on our fear of extraterrestrial beings. Stephen King writes many horror novels. A lot of them have to do with beings from other worlds that we can't understand but have nefarious intent. What's so scary about aliens? Isn't it mostly to do with the fact that a being from a different planet or a being with origins that we don't know about is so different from us, so hard to understand? And that's kind of where the fear comes in. Today, Transfiguration Sunday, is a day where we see that same thing at play with God. We often see God depicted in images and paintings and pictures as usually an older man, a white man with a big beard and a flowing robe sitting up in heaven. Maybe he's smiling down on us. We talk about God as kind of in human being terms. We talk about him as like a father who, who treats us well, who smiles at us, who loves us. What if you were to strip away all the imagery that we have of God and all the common sayings that we have about God? And what if we were to behold God for who he is face to face? Would we not be terrified? Would we not be scared? Wouldn't we melt in our shoes? Wouldn't we run away? Because God is a whole different being than we are, isn't he? You can't get any more different than the way God is different from us, can you? And so Moses had to enter the picture. Paul, in our lesson from 2 Corinthians, brings up Moses. Now, I grew up watching a movie called The Prince of Egypt. Maybe you remember that Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments. You don't have to have that much Bible knowledge to recognize that Moses is a pretty important guy in Scripture, even if you're not sure why. Well, here's why. Moses was God's hand-picked leader for the Israelites. After they got out of slavery in Egypt, Moses had led them in the great exodus out of Egypt. God was providing for Israel leadership and community through Moses. But of all the blessings Moses got to enjoy, this one was pretty big. He got to talk with God. Moses would regularly enter what was called the tent of meeting. And he would sit with God and talk with God, Scripture says, like a man talks with his friend. Moses got to behold even just a glimpse of God's glory. And what would God say in their chats? God would give Moses what he wanted the Israelites to know. So then Moses would leave that tent and relay his message to Israel. It kind of reminds me of the telephone game, right? But what's funny about the telephone game is everybody who's participating, the message gets less and less clear as they go on. Moses got the message of God right. We could be confident with that. But there was a problem. Moses would exit the tent of meeting and his face would be bright, bright like the sun. 
And the Israelites would look at him and they would go, Moses, we can't look at you. You're too bright. So Moses would put a veil over his face, a piece of cloth thick enough to cover the light, but thin enough that he could see through. Because Moses couldn't just go hide, he had to tell the Israelites what God had given him to say. But why was that light so scary to the Israelites? It wasn't just because it was bright. It's kind of like the sun, right? The sun is nice. The sun is useful. If you walk outside and the sun's rays touch your skin, it feels good. Getting some sunlight in your life is good for you, many people say. But we also recognize the sun has some destructive power, right? Stand out in the sun too long, you get a sunburn. A crayon in my driveway on a hot El Paso day completely melted last summer. And any of us would say, as nice as it is to be in the sun's rays, none of us want to be even a mile away from the sun. It would destroy us. So it is with the glorious light of God's holiness. It was bright. It could have blinded the Israelites. But what was even more terrifying to them is what it represented. It represented God's holiness. And like a flashlight shining into a dark room full of cockroaches, the roaches scatter because they can't be outed by the light. God's, the light of God's glory outs our ungloriousness. God's perfection highlights our imperfection. God's holiness reveals how unholy we are. And so, the need for a veil. Paul really latches on to this in our lesson from 2 Corinthians. He uses it as a metaphor to explain how God relates to human beings, how God talks about himself, how God reveals knowledge and information about who he is to us unholy creatures. Now, it's it's been the same God from all eternity. God is not a God who changes. God was the same God at Moses' time. He's the same God at Paul's time. He's the same God at your and my time. The way that he has revealed himself has been a little bit different in Moses' time versus Paul's time, right? The way that God chose to reveal himself through Moses to the Israelites by that telephone game was by giving them a covenant. That's one of those Bible words for pact, a treaty, an agreement, a contract, if you will. And the covenant that God gave through Moses was a covenant of obedience. What God was telling Moses in that tent of meeting to tell to the Israelites were rules, regulations, restrictions, commands for them to obey. Now, why was God doing that? To teach, to lead, to teach Israel and us something about him. Remember, this is the almighty, all-holy God relating to an unholy, sinful people like us. He's got a lot to teach us about him. And through Israel's history of disobedience, of unholiness, of failure to follow up with God's regulations and rules and restrictions, we learn the lesson that we can't relate to God 
just by our own obedience. That we are very different from God. He is holy and perfect. We are unholy and imperfect. His holiness only shines a light on how unholy we are. And if you're watching with us this morning, and you're saying to yourself, I know this, Pastor. I know I am disobedient to God. I know I fall far short of his standards of holiness. I know that I am the cockroach and he is the light. He only exposes how weak and feeble I am. If you're saying, I know that there's a huge problem with the way that I think and the way that I feel and the way that I act, I know I'm not the person that I should be, hang on with us. Stay with us through this message. But you know what Paul would say. Moses has done his job. The law has done its work. Now there's more to the story, so stick with us. But if you're saying to yourself, um, I don't know. I think my obedience is actually pretty good. I think when it comes to God's rules and regulations and standards, I actually do a pretty good job. I don't think I'm that different from God. I don't think I'm that unholy compared to God's holiness. You know what Paul would say? How's that veil working out for you? The veil over your heart. See, my brothers and sisters, to be completely frank with you, if we are to make our relationship with God about us, about our obedience, about how good we've been, about all the things that we've done, we're lying to ourselves. If we think that it's at all possible to be good enough to relate to God, to be as holy as he commands us to be, to think that's even possible for us is a lie. And that lie can take one of two forms. Either we lie about what God truly expects of us, and we pretend that God expects less than he actually does, so we lower the bar and say, God only wants me to be kind to my neighbors sometimes, or to pray for my enemies sometimes, or to speak with love and gentleness sometimes, when in actuality, what does God command us? He expects absolute perfection. The other lie is to pretend that our disobedience is not as big of a deal as it actually is. To say that when we blow up at people or when we fall to temptation, it doesn't actually matter that much. When God says in his word that even the smallest infraction against his law is punishable by hell. No, the point of the law, brothers and sisters, the point of what Moses was relating to the Israelites was to teach us that obedience to God, coming to God on the basis of our own holiness, is impossible. We are out of options. We need something else. We need Jesus. And Jesus has come. But to look at Jesus and to say, nah, I'm going to try my own holiness. I'm going to try my own obedience. Paul says this is like putting the veil back on. This is like throwing the veil back over your heart. It's walking in darkness and ignorance of what God has done through Christ. Transfiguration Sunday is all about 
God revealing his holiness to us. When Jesus walked up onto that mountain and he was transfigured, who appeared and was talking with him? None other than Elijah, a super huge, superstar prophet from the Old Testament, and Moses himself. And I wonder, what, of course I wonder what they were talking about. Even if the conversation lasted a few minutes or a couple hours, who knows? I wonder if we could sum up what Moses said this way. Finally. Finally you've come. Because what was Moses meant to do in his time through the revelation God gave him? He was always meant to point to Jesus. The words that Moses spoke and wrote in the Old Testament, they point to Jesus. When Jesus had come, it was that finally moment. I'm not sure how many people still care about the newest iPhone or getting the newest device. I think, I think it was a couple of years ago that it was revealed that Apple was deliberately slowing down their devices, uh, their older devices, to try to force people to upgrade. Do you remember this? They were trying to send the message, hey, your device is obsolete. You got to go get the new one. Even if people didn't believe it, even if people thought that their, their phone was fine. Now that Christ has come, the covenant of obedience has done his job. Moses has done his job, and it's time to move on. That's what Paul is getting at when he says this in our lesson. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this very day the same veil remains over when the covenant, old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. Transfiguration Sunday, brothers and sisters, is not the celebration of an event where Jesus was transformed into something he wasn't. Jesus, who appeared with his great glory, the glory of God, shining like a bright light, shining like the sun, it wasn't Jesus becoming something he wasn't. It was the veil being peeled back, even for a moment, so that we could see who Jesus truly is. We lack the glory of God. We, in our sinful nature, lack the holiness of God. God has sent his glory and his holiness to us in Jesus. See, Jesus never stopped being true God and true man. Jesus never stopped being the glory and holiness of God walking on earth. But he came to bring us glory, to bring us holiness. He came to remove that fear, that alien fear we had of God. We were unable to reach God because of our own unholiness. God says, okay, I'm going to give you holiness. We were unable to make a relationship with God based on our own obedience. God said, okay, I'm going to make a relationship with you based on Christ. So Jesus came. 
Jesus was transfigured to show us who he really is so that in the days to come, when we follow Jesus through Lent to the cross, we remember the whole time who he is. Remember the whole time what he's doing. He is God in the flesh, living, dying, and rising for us. Are you scared of God because of your disobedience? God has forgiven your disobedience. Are you afraid of God because of your unholiness? God has given you the holiness of Christ. Are you scared of God because he's such a different being from you? Jesus bridges the gap and brings us into relationship with God. This is the good news. This is the good news of our new relationship with God through Christ. Relationship not of obedience, but of love. You are not a slave to God. You are his child. God loves you with an unconditional love. He showed you that in Christ. His glorious and transfigured Son, your Savior. So where is God's glory now? Well, in the very next verse, Paul says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you catch that? Where is God's glory now? It's you. We, Paul says, are being transformed. We're going through our own transfiguration, in a sense. We are becoming God's glory. As God has sent the spirit of faith into our hearts, he has made us his glory. We don't need a Moses to walk into a tent of meeting and talk to God and come out and tell us, we have God's revelation. We have God's truth in scripture. We don't need to wonder where we stand with God. We have God relating to us and drawing us nearer to himself through the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. We don't need to base our relationship with God on our obedience, but on Christ's obedience and love and forgiveness for us. Because we are now God's glory. We are not the cockroaches anymore. We're the light. We are the aliens in this equation. And how are we going to live as aliens on the earth. This is what Paul gets at with the next verses. He says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we ha have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, we truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The occasion... For Paul writing 2 Corinthians was not a happy one. There were people in the Corinthian congregation who were very critical of Paul, who hated Paul, who were spreading judgments of Paul, unjust judgments, not fair criticisms. They were spreading rumors about Paul. Paul says to them, I don't care. I am bold because I have the glory of Christ. He said, I have been given this mer the mercy of this ministry, and I'm going to keep doing this ministry, whether you, you guys, you false prophets or pa false preachers, like it or not. Paul refused to stoop to their level. But with boldness, he said, I'm going to reflect Christ's glory 
I'm going to reject this argumentative talk, this judgmentalism, this criticism. I'm not going to speak with slander or deception, or I'm not going to preach the gospel in a false way. He said that so that we could say that too. Like Paul, we have every reason to be bold. Like Paul, we have every reason to be confident. Like Paul, we reject, and we're not going to stoop to the level of people who would criticize us for simply living Christ's glory. We are not going to resort to the same gossip, falsehood, slander, or hateful words that other people might use to describe us because we have Christ's glory. We are the glory of Christ. Our mission is to live Christ's glory in the world, to be reflections of his glory, to teach people about how to relate to God through Christ. Because you know someone who feels the way you felt before Jesus. You know someone who feels like the cockroach in the dark room. You know someone who might not know that if God exists, but if he does exist, would say that they're afraid of him. You know how to reach them by pointing them to Jesus, by sharing with them the need, the, the fact that Jesus has removed all fear and gives freedom, that Jesus has removed the veil that Jesus has brought us into relationship with Christ or with God and with his glory. There's no veil required. We have Jesus. Amen.